and welcome in. This is the fourth episode of the Dom and Thunder Show. It is Wednesday, January 24th, 2018. I'm Dom. Thunder, how you doing? I'm doing all right. A lot of stuff to get into today. We are going to recap the NFL action that occurred on Sunday. We got two weeks uh, to the Super Bowl thanks to the NFL's Pro Bowl, which I'm sure we will not get into today. Listen to a different podcast for that breakdown. So let's just get right into it. The first game was Jacksonville, New England. Obviously, the Patriots won. Jacksonville was ahead most of the game, even up by 10 in the fourth quarter. Once again, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, their trademark fourth quarter comeback in the playoffs occurred again. Thunder, what did you think about this game? I was, I'm upset about the outcome. In all, in, in, to be completely honest, I was really hoping this was the not the end particularly because I know they wouldn't just quit like that, but I'm, I'm, I was kind of hoping for a non-Patriot Super Bowl. Yeah, um, I was really thinking this was the year Jacksonville broke their way into their first Super Bowl, but alas, they are now zero and three in AFC Championship games, tying the Browns right. for the most losses without a win in the AFC Championship. Yeah, I think the Jags—they had this game, but like so many teams have done against the Patriots, they just they, they get to con- they overthought they, they overthought they overthought the game the. the Offensive game plan, I thought, especially in the fourth quarter, just way too conservative. I saw a stat, maybe like 75% of their first down plays in the fourth quarter were runs straight up the middle of Fournette. Just way too predictable. Like, take a few shots. you got to extend that lead. You cannot expect to... I mean, sure, they got a great defense. We've seen the, the Patriots burn good defenses before late in the game. You've just got to be aggressive. you got to attack you got to put more points on the board because you'd never be too safe against the Patriots, especially in New England. One fatal flaw, I thought, for Jacksonville was their cornerbacks. I thought they were really bad. You look at A.J. Boye was covering Brandon Cooks most of the game, giving him like 10-yard cushions on on third-down plays. Look at Danny Amendola. I just don't think—and even Gronk was out. I mean, they had the advantage in terms of personnel on the field pretty much— at all times on defense, but for some reason, they just could not, they were just, like the offense, just way too conservative in the fourth quarter. I didn't see enough pressure for them, especially late in the game. What do you think was their fatal fall? What do you think, why did they lose this game ultimately? Well, ultimately, they let a washed-up Danny Amendola go absolutely wild on them for some reason. I have no idea how... Mm -hmm he kind of just had a big game, especially against one of the most hyped-up defenses, what is it, the best defense, second-best defense in the NFL, and they let him just kill. Let Danny Amendola kill yeah. them. It was unbelievable. But I really think what it came down to is I think they were just straight out-coached in that fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. The Patriots seemed to have more energy, seemed to be – they didn't give up. They right. didn't give up early in the game like most – Teams not coached by Bill Belichick would have. Right. So I think it's absolutely unbelievable that the Jaguars blew that game like that, especially allowing – I know Tom Brady's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, if not the greatest quarterback of all time. I don't particularly like to get into those kinds of arguments, but I'm amazed at that Jacksonville defense, which is probably one of the better defenses Tom Brady has ever faced, one of the most talented or one of the most young teams – defensively that Tom Brady has ever faced. Mm-hmm. He let 
I mean, they let Tom Brady absolutely just torch them in the fourth quarter. I think it's ridiculous that they blew a 10-point lead like that. I don't care if it's the Patriots or not. Yeah, looking ahead a bit uh, for the Jaguars, in my mind, without a doubt, they are the future of the AFC if you look at New England, who, if they win this year, we could be seeing, obviously, their coordinators are going to be gone. Uh, Josh McDaniels to Indianapolis, Matt Patricia to Detroit. So, I'm guessing in three years that that empire is going to not include Belichick and Brady. Uh, They'll win probably a few more Super Bowls, but this is just a young Jaguars team with so much good talent. And you have Blake Bortles, who, my mind, won't stick around, but they get even a slight upgrade at the quarterback position. They are a annual division winner. They are a AFC championship game. Even look at Pittsburgh with Ben Roethlisberger. He's going to be soon ending his career. So I definitely think Jacksonville, they'll, they're going to be back here probably next year or the year after. I mean, this is, this is what they should come to expect. So not awful that they lost this game. It's just an opportunity gone to waste, especially with the Opponent, the Patriots are facing the Super Bowl. The Eagles are probably one of the, quite frankly, the worst teams to come out of the NFC to play for the World Championship in quite a while. Speaking of Philadelphia, they handled the Minnesota Vikings. I'm just get right down to it. The Vikings, what happened with them? I don't even know. Like that, that watching that game, it seems like Case Keenum. Really went back to that mode. I wonder if the pressure got to him. I mean, even a little bit. Because he really looked like that third string at best quarterback out there. He wasn't the Case Keenum against the New Orleans Saints. He wasn't that. He was a lackluster quarterback who seemed to... He wasn't able to get those throws into tight spaces. He got picked off quite a bit. There were just a few bad throws in there. It was just poor decision-making. Nothing was really working, as you could tell by the uh, final score for the Vikings. So, yeah, it just was an all-around ugly game. They just, they couldn't, like, this was not the performance they needed. Absolutely not. This was, it was just a poor performance. They looked just, they looked out-hustled. They looked like they had no energy. It just looked bad. It looked bad. It looked like, it did not look like a team that was a Super Bowl favorite just a week ago. I definitely agree. I'd say Case Keenum, sure, he was not the the quarterback he was against New Orleans, but the defense blew this game. You you've got to say you got Harrison Smith getting beat ten yards by by Torrey Smith. You've got Alshon Jeffrey on an island with Terrence Newman, and he beats him deep. The defense is just not, for some reason, not putting their full effort in, and against a an offense that is far inferior to the New Orleans Saints. This is completely unexpected. Keenum, yeah, he made a few mistakes. Sure, early in the game, uh, the the pick was bad. His arm got sort of bent a bit, so maybe that's on him, maybe it's not. Maybe he's got to get rid of that quicker, and that interception late in the game doesn't matter. It's late in the game, taking chances, whatever. But... He certainly could have been better, no doubt about it. I think the running game needed to be better. They needed to establish that a little more, especially early in the game when it was actually close. And just no one stepped up really anywhere on the team. No individual player really stood out at all. Wide receivers weren't really doing anything to help Al Keenum. 
the, the defense just no one stepped up in the biggest game it, it's it's almost like they took the win for granted because i'd say heading into last week the saints game was the toughest game they're going to play before the super bowl essentially that philadelphia is an easy matchup and yeah they're on the road but i think everybody expected the vikings to beat the eagles and for certainly it not to be this bad of a game and they let this this is just a huge opportunity for them to finally make it back to a super bowl and it's just another just another disappointment you know back to the effort thing i'm not saying mike zimmer should be fired or anything but what i will say is that he's got to own up. He's got to take responsibility. And this team has got to come back next year and be right back in this position to try to prove everyone wrong. It just has to happen. And I, I do want to talk about the Vikings quarterback situation a bit. Obviously, they've got three quarterbacks under contract this year. They are not under contract for next year. Which quarterback do they sign? Do they stick with Keenum? Do they go back to Bridgewater or Bradford? What do you think? In all honesty, I really think that, unfortunate as it is, I think the quarterback that's not getting signed there after this year is Teddy Bridgewater. Mm -hmm. I just, I think that the injury, as catastrophic as it was, I don't know if they're going to be willing to let him get back into the rhythm that he used to be in with these teammates. This team has evolved a lot. I'm not entirely certain how willing they are to give him that time to adjust, especially considering they're coming right off of a coming right off of a big run with Case Keenum. I mean, I think it's between Bradford and Bridgewater for whoever gets thrown out, but in all seriousness, I think that the quarterback out of there is Bridgewater. And how much do you think this actually matters? Because we look at the Eagles with Nick Foles, the really good defense, really good rushing attack, and they're in the Super Bowl. Same thing with Blake Bortles. In my mind, I could see the Vikings not signing Keenum, letting another team give him that large deal, not pay him $23 million for the franchise tag, because quite frankly, he's not worth it. They could get by with Sam Bradford and be right back in the playoffs next year, definitely be competitive for a divisional title. Obviously, it's going to be tougher with the Packers, but I I just don't think it's going to matter that much which guy they choose, although I will think it will be one of the three. You know, I could see them going back to Bridgewater, the cheaper option, certainly. I could see them going back to St. Bradford. They were successful early in the year. What do you think? Does it even matter? Well, I think that quarterback play always matters. You saw that in the Jacksonville game. Um, you know, you're always going to have those great quarterbacks. But I'm, I'm wondering if they went for an outside quarterback this offseason – if they would be willing to chase after a big name like Kirk Cousins, how good do you think that Vikings team would be if they had a guy like Kirk Cousins at the helm? Oh, they would be great. Like, I mean, no doubt. They would, that it. would be that'd be a great team. I think they'd become automatic NFC favorites, NFC champion favorites. And quite frankly, yeah, if they're looking at improving a position, it would be the quarterback spot. The line is good on both offensive and defensive sides. The defense is absolutely loaded on all three levels. The offense has a lot of skill players. They got Dalvin Cook coming back in that running back spot. They're going to upgrade one place. It's got to be the quarterback position. 
Absolutely. That's their biggest hole right now is that quarterback spot. And it wasn't even that big of a hole, all in all considered, but it was just an, it didn't, it, you know, it kind of came back to bite them a little bit. I think that they had an inexperienced playoff quarterback there. We'll get to the Super Bowl next week, but right now we're going to dive into the NBA. The All-Star rosters have been announced, and I just want to get your thoughts, Thunder, on, on these rosters. Any surprises, any snubs, any guys you think got in that they sh- shouldn't have? Well, I called last week that Al Horford would make the starting team, and looking back on it, I didn't realize the centers that would end up being snubbed because of that. And Joel Embiid is the starting center for the East this year. Or that that was picked for the East. Of course, it's not East-West this year. Um, it's fantasy draft. But looking at it now, I think that Andre Drummond is more worthy of a playoff spot. I mean, a playoff spot. Of an all-star spot than Al Horford is. Just in general, I think he's a better defender. I think he's a better rebounder. I think he's better at scoring. I think he's just a better all-around player, and he's younger. So I really think that Al Horford is the biggest undeserving player in this lineup uh, next to Kyle Lowry. I'll get to Lowry uh, after this, but I I do sort of agree with with Horford. I, I think, and we'll see this sort of as a theme throughout the roster, is they, more than any year, they rewarded the winning teams. That's why you've got the Boston Celtics getting Al Horford in there. That's why you got Kyle Lowry getting in there from the Raptors when Ben Simmons should have been in there, no doubt about it. That's why we got four Golden State Warriors. Clay Thompson's not an all-star this year. He is, according to the NBA. So I don't. I just think that's what happened, rewarding those winning teams and not so much deserving players on lesser teams. I just I totally agree on on Drummond. He's tops in in so many defensive categories. In my mind, an obvious most improved player candidate. He's probably not going to win it, but he's definitely improved in pretty much all facets of his game. He he's leading the league in rebounding. He's doubled his free throw percentage almost. Just all around a very solid season for Drummond and the Pistons. They'll probably make the playoffs. I think they should. Uh, but regardless, I think Drummond, obvious snub. He should have been on this roster, and he said himself, "Like, what more do I have to do?" Yeah, I totally agree with him. He should have gone in. We talked about Kyle Lowry. Why do you think he is a snub? I think the I think or not a snub. yeah. He I think he's. <laughs> He's causing snubs. I really yeah. think that Kemba Walker is more deserving of the all-star selection than Kyle Lowry this year. I really think that Kyle Lowry, if anything, is underperforming this year. His stats aren't looking so hot. He's not shooting very well from deep, which is kind of not normal for a guy like him. But I really think that Kemba Walker deserves that spot more. He's carrying, although it's not to a great record, He's carrying that Hornets team next to Dwight Howard. That's not, I really think that Kemba deserves it over Kyle Lowry this year. Even though I will say, like you said, team success has been highlighted even more this year. So, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's a tough choice either way. And I really think that it should go to Walker over Lowry. I actually think Ben Simmons should have gotten this spot. Uh, he's got the 76ers right in the thick of things in terms of the playoff race. 
averaging 17, 8, and 7 with a block and two steals per game. Just a really solid rookie year. I think he should have gone in. He should have been rewarded for, for leading that 76ers team along with Embiid. Uh, more so the Walker. Uh, maybe it's just because of uh, the hype surrounding Simmons compared to compared to Walker. But what do you think about, about Ben? Should, I think he should have gone in. Well, I mean, all in all, considering Ben Simmons, I mean, you could put him at any position. I wasn't sure. Did they place him under the uh, guards or the forwards? Or, yeah, backcourt, frontcourt this year? Uh, he was, was he a backcourt? Yeah, backcourt. He was a backcourt selection. Okay, well, then that definitely changes things. I, <laughs> I definitely agree with you. I seriously thought he was a frontcourt selection because I, I think his natural position is the small forward spot. But, I mean, just because of that height, and I think he's a LeBron yeah, junior. So He's just, it's unbelievable. The moment he gets a jump shot, that it's going to be, he's going to be the best player in the league. But anyways, uh, as I digress, yeah, I, I then, yeah, I think that should go to Ben Simmons then. I mean, if he's a, if he's a backcourt player in the listing, then I think he definitely deserves it over both Walker and Lowry. Heading over to the West, I at least predicted all five stars correct. I did think the Pelicans were going to get both frontcourt guys in. You had LaMarcus Aldridge in there at the power forward spot. I can't really argue with that. He deserved it maybe as much so as, as Cousins, but he did get a spot uh, on the reserves. One thing I know me and you both disagree about is Clay Thompson being on this team as the fourth Golden State Warrior All-Star. So many more deserving players in my mind. I 100% agree with you. I think that I think you and I are having disagreements on who that player should who should replace uh, Clay should be. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, this spot goes to Devin Booker. He's having one of the most underappreciated scoring seasons in a while. He's averaging 25 a game. That is absolutely unreal for a player in his third year. So, yeah. all in all, considering, I think that this spot is Devin Booker's. Uh, not a third. I mean, he's the first option on a really bad team, while Coy Thompson is a third option on a really good team. I think that Devin Booker should be rewarded. And, I mean, I would 100% agree with this selection if it were Coy Thompson on his own team being the first or second option scoring-wise, but he's the third option on a Warriors team that is absolutely loaded, and I think that this should be Devin Booker's spot. To be clear, I do agree with the other six reserves. So it's really, you know, when I did the reserves, uh, predicted the reserves, I, it was just really, really tough to near down these guys. I thought Tyreek Evans, for instance, should have gone consideration. I thought Paul George should definitely have gone situation. A per, awesome 3 and D player. Um, you called him a few weeks back as your defensive player of the year thus far. I definitely put him in the top five, but I thought Lou Williams should have gotten it. All he does is score. And with Booker, he's on the Suns. He's kind of, he is the guy, you know, without a doubt. Obviously, Eric Bledsoe is, is gone now. So Booker is the number one option. He's gonna getting a lot of shots, a lot of volume. So 25 points. I mean, again, great numbers, even in rebounds and assists. But I just think Lou's got to get, get some credit finally. He's, he's in his 30s. He's got to get rewarded. He's... He's been the sixth man of the year. He's been promoted, I guess, to to a starting guard guard spot for the for the Clippers, and he's on a team with Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan. He's 
I just want him to see just want to see him get rewarded. And he's he's scoring a lot, twenty points per game. Obviously not as much as Booker, but over forty percent from three. And we'll get to this actually next. Um, a few teams I think should definitely reach out to the Los Angeles to try to get Lou. I I think it should have been Lou to be honest. I think that's a plenty of recency bias though. He's been absolutely lighting up scoreboards recently, especially that fifty point performance he put up. But I just I the I just don't see it in his entire resume for the season. I agree with you. He absolutely deserves to be recognized at least once in his career. Yeah. But I don't think it's this year, which is unfortunate because I think this was his best chance. But I think if he were in East in the East, I think this were his spot. But he's in the West, which is absolutely loaded with I think more deserving players like Devin Booker or more fan appreciated players like Koi Thompson. To create more room, you could take out Draymond Green, obviously having a great year, but again, another forward, we really need that, and put in Paul George to maybe add in another one of my guys. I agree with you. I think that uh, Draymond, who is putting up, all right, and forgive me, this is going to be a blasphemy, you ready? He's putting up numbers nearly identical to Lonzo Ball. I really do not think that Draymond Green is a worthy all-star this year. He's great at defense. I agree with that. He's a he's 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 an okay at best scorer. He's average. He's an average NBA scorer. He's an average rebounder for a power forward. He's an average passer for a some for a semi playmaker. I think he's average at best on the offensive end. I do not think he's a good enough. I think he's a good defensive player, but I don't think he's good enough, especially because look at Lonzo Ball stats, look at Draymond Green stats. They're nearly identical. I do not think that that is a worthy all-star if you're putting up the same kind of numbers as a rookie who is almost universally either loved or hated. I just, I don't see it. I don't see it. Draymond, I don't think is an all-star. Okay, I think that's a good way to end this segment. Sticking on the NBA, though, I wanted to get to a few teams, the Washington Wizards and Cleveland Cavaliers dysfunction in particular. Let's start with Washington. They've been awful of late. I mean, they've just been awful. They just lost by 25 points to the Mavs on the road. They've lost to the Bucks twice who just fired their coach. They've lost to the Nets twice. They've lost to the Lakers, the Suns, the Blazers in games they should have won. It's just awful. It's just been awful. For you, let's just start start at the core. What are the main problems that the Wizards are having right now? Well, um, I think the main issue with the Washington Wizards is that, well, first of all, their bench scoring is inconsistent at best. I think Kelly Oubre has been their third best player this year over Otto Porter, who's been just injured. But I think the main problem with the Washington Wizards is that they play down to whomever they're playing and then get absolutely laughed off the court. Look at the Mavericks. They've lost to the Mavericks twice this year, which I find absolutely incredulous. I, I, I find that incredible. I don't know how a fourth or fifth playoff seed team goes out and blows games to the one of the worst teams in the Western Conference, even the, even the whole NBA. Like, that is one of the worst teams in the NBA, and they are losing games to the Suns to the Blazers, who are a playoff team. They, they cannot beat a team that is below 500. They have the worst record of any playoff team in the league right now against below 500 teams, which I find to be absolutely ridiculous. They can go out there. They've shown that they can hang with any tough competition. Mm-hmm. 
They've beaten the Celtics. They've beaten the Rockets. I just, I don't know. I don't understand how they let teams that are obviously not as good as them go out and just embarrass them off the court. It's unbelievable to me. How much of this has to do with Scott Brooks? He's had so much talent in his career as a coach. He's had, obviously, foursome with Harden, Westbrook, Durant, and Ibaka in OKC. He's had John and Brad here in Washington. But it just might be starting to be time to, to look at Brooks and actually evaluate him as a tactical head coach and as a head coach who who may not be able to motivate his players. How much of a problem do you think he is? Well, I don't think he's a great tactician all in all, and I think his biggest problem is much like Mike Mularkey's biggest problem, <laughs> and that is he is afraid to make changes. Yes. He refuses to change lineups. He refuses to change rotations. It's unbelievable to me that Guys like Marcin Gortat, who are showing no effort, still Just get awful. rewarded with starting minutes. He's got to be benched. I, I'm sorry. He's been he has to be so bad. Get Ubre in there. Honestly, he's been their third best player all season. Go small with Keith at the at the center. Even Mahimi's been better than Gortat this year. Give him extended minutes. Like, do something. Just stop with this. This has been the same lineup for, like, every game that they the five stars have been he- healthy. It's It's insane. <laughs> I know, and it's just an absolute disappointment, and you're absolutely right. We The Wizards do need to go with a smaller lineup. Wall, Beal, Oubre, Porter, Morris. Yeah. And I think that's how it should go. I think Otto Porter is the prototypical new stretch four in the NBA. He's the prototype. Mm-hmm. He is absolutely what the team needs in the corner shooting. They don't give him enough shots, which oh. this is every Wizards fan who knows anything about basketball. Eight shots a game while Brad and John are shooting 20 to 25 a game. Yeah, Which is, I, I really think that John Wall should be shooting less. I understand that he has an ego and he knows he can shoot at times. But he needs to know that when he is when he's shooting 5 for 17 from the field... He needs to just delegate the shooting role to another player. Mm-hmm. Otto Porter would needs more shots. He needs at least 15 shots a game. Mm-hmm. Giving shots to guys who are in a slump, like Marching Gortat, like Markeith Morris, uh, as much as I love Markeith for who he is, I don't think that is the smartest idea in the book. I think that all in all, I think this Otto Porter needs to be more of a focal point once he's fully healthy. I understand that he is having a hip injury right now, which is kind of affecting his shot. But all in all, considering there is no way that Otto Porter should not be shooting more. It's oh, just, yeah. it's so ridiculous. I hate it's a max player how, we're talking about. Yes, this is a $100 million player who only gets eight shots a game. He's not just there to stand around. Did you know that John Wall is currently leading the league in time either walking or standing <laughs> on the court? I didn't know he's that. He's leading the league. Off ball. Yeah, Not off ball. He, spend, he, spends the, he spends the most time standing or walking. More than Russell Westbrook, who cannot move off ball to save his life. More than Isaiah Thomas, who just, he, he's too ineffective because of his height to move around. Mm-hmm. He's just, I, I find it unbelievable that we have one of the most athletic point guards who refuses to move. He doesn't move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's I, I don't understand it. It's like, 
you, he has to be able to help create. He can't just go stand on the opposite wing while Brad dribbles around and waits for a screen. Yeah, I, don't, I never. He has to be helping. He has to be. He has to be helping initiate screening. He has to be able to help initiate good ball movement. But standing there and waiting for a pass back is dumb. It's not going to get the offense anywhere. It's going to lead to another three seconds on the shot clock. Chuck a wing three. Yep. And whenever he does that, I know an ISO is coming, and he's probably going to brick a easy. 15 foot jumper it's just never a good sign we're gonna get to the trade deadline next week but let's just right here go at it um the wizards what do they need they need a an either a new power forward such as Derek favors or someone like deandre jordan they need an inside protector they need somebody that john wall can just throw up lobs to and can easily come down and slam it they need somebody like that. I think that John Wall needs a new pick-and-roll buddy. As great as Marching Gortat was last year and the year before that with setting screens for John Wall, he is not that this year. He's been ineffective in every sense of the word. He cannot finish inside. His jump shot doesn't exist. He just he hasn't, He hasn't. is not the same player as last year. Last year is going to be his best year as an NBA player. Either that or one of his years in Phoenix or Orlando. I mean, yeah. this is that was by far his best year in Washington, no doubt. But uh, it's just I don't I don't understand how, like I, I don't get it, man. It's just I think they need to go get a, if they were to trade. I don't think they will because they'd have to give up too much. I'm not if I'm a Wizards fan. If I'm a Wizards, if I'm the Wizards GM, if I'm Ernie Grunfeld, I'm not trading Kelly Oubre. I am not trading a first round pick. The Wizards need to realize that trading first-round picks ends up giving you loaner players who you only get for a year as opposed to a rookie that you have a chance to develop for three or four years. Think about what happened with Kelly Oubre. Mm -hmm. They kept Kelly Oubre. Actually, they traded for Kelly Oubre. But when they got Kelly Oubre, they kept him and developed him, and now look how good he is. Mm -hmm. I really think that if the Wizards kept their picks, they could easily be one of the best teams in the league right now. They could have more scoring off the bench, I think they could have more chances to develop players. And I think that trading for guys like uh, Bojan back uh, two years ago now and Markeith, as great as Markeith's been for those one or two years we've had him now, I just, I don't think it's entirely worth it to go after a loner guy. I think that's why I think DeMarcus Cousins should not be a trade target for the Wizards. That's why I think Guys like even Lou Williams, who's going to get a fat contract after this year because of how well he's been playing. This is just not worth it because the Wizards cannot afford to pay those guys. Yamahimi's contract is killing this team. In my opinion, I'd be fine with Lou because the East is wide open this year. This might be their best shot at at an Eastern Conference Final where they've been going for the past few years. I think, yeah, you get Lou for uh, two months, but so what? I, I... definitely take that he'd improve their bench so much he could play in that small ball lineup if Otto's having an off night like he always does but yeah I'd be fine with Lou to be honest I wouldn't mind a a rental as long as it's just not an expensive price like I don't need like you said don't need to be giving up draft picks um maybe Sadoransky I'd be sort of on the fence about that but the problem with the Wizards Sadoransky's been amazing this year he's improved so much second best player in my mind so you mentioned DeAndre Jordan as a potential target. So here's the thing about DeAndre Jordan uh, coming to Washington. First of all, he cost a ton. 
Second of all, he would... There's a lot of competition for him, uh, particularly Cleveland. Third of all, the Wizards have about $30 million invested in pure centers for next season. $30 million. And that's Gortat, who's showing no effort. And that's Mahimi, who has a four-year contract worth $64 million. Ernie Grunfeld, please resign immediately. I just, this, these, I don't understand how, and excuse me, because I keep cutting you yeah. off, but I don't understand how Yamahimi was ever worth $16 million a year. And that, that offseason. He was never worth it. Yeah, that. I'm sorry, yeah, jumping in. That offseason, they missed out on so many key guys, and it, this was sort of two weeks in. It's almost like they just, they felt, they had a bunch of cast base, remember? They couldn't get KD, which I don't know if they ever thought that was going to happen. But apparently they did because one of their next options is Jan Mahimi, who was one of the better players, I guess, left in the market. But it, it's not like that was a, a great market at that time, as a lot of the top players had left. And it's almost like they just gave him a contract just because they felt they had to spend that money, you know? Yeah, and uh, okay, another thing I'd like to point out before we move on to the Cavs yeah. is that, uh, you know, we could have, the Wizards could have signed Tyreek Evans this offseason over Jody Meeks for less money, which is absolutely ridiculous. This is fringe all-star. Tyreek Evans, who is a fringe all-star this year, former rookie of the year. Mm-hmm. All right. I don't understand. And he's put on a jump shot, too. I don't understand how the Wizards don't go sign Tyreek Evans over Jody Meeks, who's over 30 and oft injured. Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't see how Ernie, I don't understand how Ernie has a job. I don't understand how Ted Leonsis hasn't just said, no, you're done. I, I don't understand how the Wizards keep paying Ernie Grunfeld, who I think is, all in all considering has the most ridiculous contract on this team because he still has a contract with this team. Uh, because I, I, I don't understand it, man. Yeah. How is Ernie Grunfeld still the general manager of the Washington? How is he still, and how is he still a general manager in the NBA? I wouldn't trust him to be the general manager of my rec league team. <laughs> we could do a full six hours on the wizards. I guarantee you that we've already gone with 15 minutes here. We could keep going easily, but we got to move on and keep it short for you guys. So the Cavs. Drama in the locker room. Obviously, pales in comparison to what our Wizards had in 2010. But just what are your thoughts on just what's gone on in Cleveland and what the Cavs are looking like uh, for the trade deadline, maybe? And, and what are their prospects for this coming postseason? I don't understand. All right, and here we go. But I don't understand how guys can have such big egos that Kevin Love is the one getting their his like he's the one getting all the fingers pointed at him i don't understand what he did if i'm kevin love i'm asking for a trade now that is he's getting everything blamed on him he did absolutely nothing wrong he was sick and went home there's nothing wrong with that derrick rose however disappeared for like three weeks and the Cavs didn't care i'm telling you and i don't understand how jr smith as much as I love J.R. Smith, because of, I remember his Knicks and Nuggets days, I don't understand how he has a starting spot on that team. He is the, he has hit the age 
wall. He's he's ineffective. Last night against the Spurs, he scored zero points in 28 minutes. Let me say that again. Zero points in 28 minutes. This is not the same J.R. Smith that scored 18 a game and won the sixth man of the year in 2013. But this is the useless J.R. Smith who's there just to be a, like a teammate. He's he's just out there to be the extra guy that they might pass to because they need to shut because they need to shoot. That's he's not that guy anymore. He's not the athletic finisher, the athletic um, scorer that he once was. He is just he's just J.R. Smith now. He's absolutely been worthless this year. Um, his scoring has been abysmal. His rebounding has been abysmal. His passing has been abysmal. It's been absolutely garbage, and I don't understand how he has a starting spot. Jay Crowder has been absolutely garbage on defense this year, in my opinion. He's been absolutely garbage on offense. I don't understand how he's still getting rotation minutes, um, because he's been absolutely terrible. He looks nothing like the Jay Crowder of last year. The Jay Crowder that was ranked over Carmelo Anthony last year. Uh, I think whoever wrote that ESPN ranking needs to write us an apology letter right about now. Um, yeah, the, and Isaiah Thomas, although he's just returned, kind of is messing with the Cavaliers, I think, because I don't think they needed another scorer. I think they needed a distributor more than they needed a scorer. I think you just summed it up pretty well. Age is just a huge problem for the Cavs. Keep in mind, this is the roster that LeBron built, and it's just coming back to Biden. And so, you know, it begs the question, can he do anything to fix it? I don't think he can. I think he's in over his head. I really think it's kind of the situation where he felt bad for Dwayne Wade, so he brought him back to be friends again, for like the Miami days. I think he had this rosy image that this was going to be just like the Miami days, but better. I think he had a better team in mind than uh, what he had in Miami, and I think it's just falling apart in front of his face. I didn't even get to Tristan Thompson, who's been also garbage this year. That team has been garbage this year. They are right now playing as the fourth or fifth best team in the East, which is ridiculous for any LeBron-led team ever, except for maybe the 2000s Cavs, where he was the only player and he was leading a team of like homeless people to the finals. Like, I mean, he led... He led some guy who used to work as a truck driver to the finals. Like, I'm serious. He used to work as a truck driver. I don't remember his name, but on the 2007 uh, finals team for the Cavs. Um, anyways, uh, I don't understand how this team could be have, have so many players who are just talented on paper, who are talented at what they do. They are absolutely amazing, but not when they're together. This team was not built to play together. This team was built to thrive on its own. This is one of the worst cases of ISO ball team I've ever seen. This team is entirely made up of those five AAU kids from down the block who refuse to pass to each other. They're just, they don't pass. They just want to play ISO ball and chuck threes. That's the team. That, that's the team this year. I really don't think that... LeBron built the best team, and I really think that, if anything, this goes to show that he will not be getting a GM job anytime soon in the NBA after he retires. Okay, uh, that was a lot of NBA, and let's finish things off 
with your Titans, actually. I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on Mike Vrabel as the new head coach in Tennessee. It Was this the right move? Should they have gone an offensive-minded coach? What do you think? In all, in all honesty, I really think that this was an okay hiring as long as they get a good offensive coordinator. I really like LaFleur from uh, the Rams. If he came in and became the uh, Titans' offensive coordinator, I think they are set for next year, coaching-wise. Uh, Vrabel said that he will not have any of the specialists, the specialist coaches returning next year. The offensive coordinator's gone. Dick LeBeau's gone. Robisky's gone. Um, everybody except the um, health guy <laughs> is gone. Everybody. Everybody is gone. Yeah, coin house, except for him. He let everybody go. And I really think that I, I have my full trust in John Robinson to lead this team to having the best roster and the best coaching staff possible. I really think that he is by far the best option at general manager. I really think he's one of the best general managers in the NFL right now, just based off what he's done so far. But anyways... I really think Vrabel's a good signing. I want to know what they will do with the offensive and defensive coordinator spots, as well as, I guess, just fill out the rest of the roster as in terms of coaches. Yeah, Vrabel says he's going spread to out, spread out the offense a little more, make it more college-style, easier for Marietta. I think that's that's got to work out in, in his benefit. Uh, you mentioned LaFleur there. One last thought before we wrap up the show here. I thought they should have gone with him. He comes from that Shanahan coaching tree. With he was their quarterbacks coach, uh, when Kyle Shanahan was the offense coordinator in Washington, actually. So he comes from that tree. Um, he actually was with Shanahan, uh, in Houston six years ago. But I, I think they should have gone with him, an offensive minded coach. I would really like to see them gone with LaFleur, to be honest. You're absolutely right. I think that an offensive coach would be good, but I really think LaFleur can definitely come in. Be an off, be the offensive coordinator and lead this team to even better offense. I think Vrabel is a good defensive-minded coach, and he will definitely, definitely be the guy who will, I think, lead this team to another playoff berth next year. Let us know what you think about this episode. You can email us at domandthundershow at gmail.com. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or even SoundCloud. Give us a thumbs up, comment, whatever you think about the episode. And if you even want to take it a step further, you can follow us on Twitter at Dom and Thunder. We're certainly grateful for all the support we've been receiving on there of late. And if you follow us, you're going to get first access to our latest podcasts and our latest blog posts. And speaking of our blog posts, you can check us out domandthundershow.com we've got a brand new story up there a long feature article on why no league in 50 years has been able to match the success that the American Football League had in the 1960s we took a long time to get that out we certainly learned a lot from writing it and I hope from reading it we will learn a lot too so definitely check out that story if you're going to enjoy it and let us know what you think comment like the post you can do both of those things on our website and we'll also be posting some NFL playoff content probably a Super Bowl preview once that rolls around so just do all those things if you enjoyed the show let us know what you guys think we certainly want to get better and we hope that you let us know 
how to do that and we just want to hear your thoughts on, on those topics and we want to engage with you guys as much as possible so for thunder i'm gom saying so long and we will see you next week